passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome, everybody. To the UFC 245 post show, I'm John Pollock, along with Phil Chertok, a man that uh, just told me off the air that you know what UFC needs, John? Pay-per-views that have five title fights instead of just three. Why don't we just make them all title fights? Maybe the whole card could be title fights one day. Five round fights, you know. <laughs> just, you, know you, you could just. I, I mean, I, just, I I don't like this. Just three. What does three settle? I mean, five is a definitive answer at the end of who is the winner, who is the loser. Precisely, it's a you know, a, you know, let you know the fight in an octagon. So why not make it eight rounds? Eight rounds, eight fights, <laughs> to, to to the death. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't have too much to complain about this card, but I'm just going to put it out there that, Phil, you and I just watched a sporting event for eight hours in succession. Ah, uh, don't remind me, John. Don't remind me. Yeah, I'm looking. Eight hours. I mean, if, if you I tuned mean, in uh, just before 6.15, which was the first fight on the, on the East Coast. Well, okay, now, to be fair... You know, we do this for the people, right? Like, if it was merely, you know, I was happening to, you know, I wanted to see this event, I was not going to be tuning in at 6.15 to see well, the I'm just saying fights. That if you're a completist, which most of us yeah. are, do, do, do you tune into a, I don't know, if I, if I sit down to watch a basketball game, I'm probably going to sit down at the beginning of the first quarter. But I guess there's many who will tune in in the fourth quarter. That's all they're. they're uh, I I I love I love tuning into sporting events and like football, second half football. I love it. It's like oh, perfect. You know, the score is established. There's already a strategy. It's like okay, the, the set, somebody has set this up nicely for me. I'm afraid to make small talk given how late it is right now. But my one and only question before we get into this card: How is your Christmas? Why are shopping? you so afraid? Why are you why are you so afraid, John? Uh, because I, I because I have to wake up in about four and a half hours. That is why, and I've oh, got to, okay. and okay, I've also right. got to upload this show afterwards. So that is that is on me. I'm the old man here. Phil's going to be going out partying as soon as this show is done. Oh, clearly, yes, definitely. Yeah, that's that's top of order. How's your Christmas shopping? I have vir done virtually none of it, which is great. But I don't really do a lot of it. I, I don't. I don't. I don't shop a lot for people. Oh, so. Yeah, I, I'm like, I, I, you know, there's a few select people who get, who I get gifts from and I usually take care of that. Um, so yeah. Well, you give us a gift every month by joining us. Oh, that, that's sweet. Your Thank presence you. is our present. Uh, well, I'm, well, I'm happy to give it. Well, let's move on as Phil is blushing from all the, the fanfare that he has out there among the, uh, the post wrestling community. UFC 245 from the T Mobile Arena. 
eight hours ago it kicked off on Fight Pass. I'm just going to quickly go over the results from the Fight Pass, and Phil, I'll throw it over to you if you had any uh, strong thoughts on any of the performances. We kicked things off in the uh, middleweight division with Punahale Soriano defeating Oscar Pijota by knockout at 317 of the first round, landed this brutal left hand. Uh, Soriano showed a ton of power, and that was really the, the story of this fight. Jessica I defeated uh, Vivian Araujo by unanimous decision. All three judges scored it 29-28. I had the same score. But the bigger story going into this was Jessica I missing weight by five pounds. She came in at 131 pounds, and this was a flyweight fight. And she explained afterwards that she miscalculated something and was trying new things and apologized for missing weight. But that was that was a big, big miss and got find 30% of her purse for that miss. Brandon Moreno defeated Kai Kara France, a teammate of Israel Adesanya and Alexander Volkanovsky, who we will talk about later. Uh, Moreno getting the unanimous decision victory, scores of 30-27, 29-28, and 29-28. And I thought what was the maybe one of the more notable performers on the undercard, Chase Hooper, 20-year-old Chase Hooper, who was born on September 13th, 1999. Holy Christ. There are people that were born when I was in gr- in high school that are now fighting in the UFC. I have never felt so old than when Chase Hooper uh, was introduced here. And he proceeded to finish a really tough guy in Daniel Tamor, uh, overcame some early adversity, and then ended up uh, working to mount here, delivering strikes, applied a triangle, and finished him with punches with the triangle, uh, with the mounted triangle, and said that he's going for M&M's after for his celebration because uh, the man cannot drink. No, he cannot drink in the United States. He's 20 years old. The age of, uh, you know, alcohol consumption is 21. And not only can he not drink, he's not even on the brink of being able to drink. He's got to wait till the next school year begins in September that this man can drink again or drink uh, period. Well, I mean, you know, he can vote in the meantime, I suppose, or, you know, join the military. Well, would you vote for this guy getting a performance of the night bonus? Definitely. Uh, spectacular performance. He just, he has this crazy huge frame and he used it to just completely dominate position on he's a Taymor. Si- he's a six foot one and, featherweight. Uh, it was a very, very impressive performance. Yeah, six foot one this guy is at featherweight, so just an enormous guy, and I, I was very impressed with this guy. Very calm under pressure here when he uh, ate this overhand right from Tamor, who's, uh, again, like a really good fighter uh, at 145 pounds. So uh, an interesting prospect to watch, a very young one. Then we went on to the televised prelims. Uh, Matt Brown is out of retirement and drew Ben Saunders on Saturday night, and they had a rather entertaining fight uh, in the first round. Ben Saunders just worked off of his back and was going for a triangle and just was constantly adjusting back and forth. And Joe Rogan was very concerned that this guy was going to blow out his legs and be exhausted. And Brown kind of just held him down, held his arms. But I still thought Saunders did enough to win this round. In the second, it was Matt Brown standing and just drilling this guy with strikes. He hit a head kick that stunned Saunders. And Saunders is just constantly going to his back. Brown rocked him, and then as Saunders goes to the back, Brown nails him with his right elbow and finishes him with strikes on top. So Matt Brown comes out of retirement, had Mark Coleman in his corner, and gets the victory here. 
Yeah, it was nice to see Brown get the win. I mean, it was a perfect opponent, another veteran guy. Uh, I agree that Ben Saunders, I thought he won the round just by controlling the position so dominantly. But uh, it was pretty clear early in the second that that wasn't going to be enough. Brown was, you know, he used that veteran savvy uh, to, you know, stay calm in those positions and do damage and eventually end up with the TKO. Maybe we can finally get that fight with uh, Carlos Condit. Um, yeah, yeah, well, be- better late than never, I guess. At this point, between those two, uh, I don't but- know it seems like the uh, at least an option. Like you don't want to see him put in there with like a, you know a real top guy, right? Uh, Matt Brown said afterwards that he wants to fight on that card in Columbus, Ohio, which is at the end of March. That's going to feature Francis Ngannou and uh, Jarzinho Rosenstruck, and I remember. In 2008, going to uh, UFC 83, I believe, at that same arena in Columbus, Ohio. And it was the card headlined by Anderson Silva and Dan Henderson. And on that card, I remember them introducing Mark Coleman, who will probably be in Matt Brown's corner if he gets on this card, and announcing that Mark Coleman in 2008 was going to fight Brock Lesnar in the summer. And I just thought, oh, my God. What are they doing to Mark Coleman? And Did they announce that? What? They, an- they announced it, and he ended up having to pull out of the fight, and that's where Heath Herring got selected to replace him to fight Brock Lesnar. Okay, that, may- that does ring a bell. That does ring a bell. Okay. I just, uh, I was just fearful of Mark Coleman. I was like, they are just feeding this guy to Brock Lesnar. And Mark Coleman would have fights after that, so... Anyway, he had competitive fights after he that. did. He did. He had that. He had that fight with Shogun uh, in 2009 where those two were just completely gassed. But uh, yeah, he had, you know, several more fights in his career post uh, 2008, just not with Brock Lesnar. Omari Akhmedov defeated Ian Heinish by unanimous decision. Uh, straight scores of 29-28. Uh, Akhmedov winning the first two rounds. Heinish, I thought, winning the third round. Not not a very memorable fight here. It was uh, Akhmedov who just the superior striking in the first two rounds and Heinish in the third round. I think it was more so Akhmedov was really tired and Heinish was able to get a takedown, land some strikes on top and be able to get around in here. Yeah, uh, I agree. Heinish, uh, you know, he did a good job to, you know, kind of take the fight in his direction towards the end of the second round and third round. But, you know... You know, these round, these fights are very short. So, you know, you've only got three rounds. You can't wait to make your move. And, uh, Amidov did enough to do, to enough in one and two to win the fight and, uh, move up. I, I sometimes will say when a, when a guy is on a winning streak that he has quietly, uh, gone unbeaten for a certain stretch. Well, I think that Omari Akhmedov officially has the quietest streak. In the UFC, because this man has not lost a fight since April of 2016, and I would venture to guess that there are many fight fans that order every pay-per-view that could not pick Omari Akhmedov out of a lineup. I, I, I would agree with you. I might not be able to pick him out of a lineup. Well, not anymore, because he did make a statement, um, at least uh, to some degree, because uh, it was a big night of fights. He won. And, uh, it was, it was a tough fight. It wasn't a bad fight. It was, it was a little underwhelming on a pretty exciting night, I guess. 
Uh, Caitlin Vieira and Irina Aldana were next in uh, women's bantamweight action. Uh, Vieira has not fought since March of 2018, and she had quietly ascended the ranks of the women's bantamweight division. And uh, her last win to, to date this one was a split decision over Katzengano. So that really uh, puts into perspective. And uh, was favored in this fight. She was the betting favorite coming into this fight. And Aldana early on landed this uh, right hand and then... Vieira hit her own, and then they got into this exchange where Aldana rocked her with this left hand that just drops uh, Vieira down. This was a brutal knockout at 451 of the first round. Irene Aldana getting the knockout victory and has now won five of six fights. So she is certainly, uh, when you're looking at, man, a pretty bare division when it comes to finding contenders to fight Amanda Nunez, I think Irene Aldana has just leapfrogged to the top of that contenders list. Yeah, it's fairly slim pickings at this point, but uh, it was a good performance by Aldana, who used good footwork. I did think she was taking some shots, but uh, you know she landed that beautiful left and then followed it up with an even nicer straight right that really uh, flatlined uh, uh, Vieira. So... Um, I don't know if I'd say she's ready for a title shot, but uh, definitely ready for a more uh, notable opponent. It's kind of process of elimination at this point at bantamweight and featherweight. Just who who is a warm body that has amassed uh, minimum two wins in a row? Come on down. That is essentially the the, the progression of challengers at this point. I, you know, I'd rather see Amanda Nunez fight. Um, who's the Canadian girl that lost to Cyborg? Oh, um, uh, Felicia Spencer. Yeah, there you go. I'd rather see her fight her. So it's slim pickings is what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's just, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> we will see what is next uh, for her. Then we move on and we had... Uh, in the featured prelim bout, Jeff Neal versus Mike Perry. And Jeff Neal, uh, I think he's quickly become maybe maybe the most uh, successful Dana White contender series uh, prospect that has gotten signed. He came into this fight 4-0 since joining the UFC. Uh, recently beaten Bilal Muhammad and Nico Price this year alone. So this was his third fight this year. He hit a head kick that stunned Perry, and Neil just went into kill mode. He unloaded on Perry, putting him against a cage, dropping him down for the stoppage. This is the first time Mike Perry has ever been stopped, uh, and this came at 1.30 of the first round. So a very, very impressive win for Jeff Neal at 170 pounds. Yeah, I mean, he got right to it. Uh, it, it. He landed this high kick, followed it up, and uh, looked sharp as ever. And I mean, you mentioned his other wins this year, Nico Price and uh, Bilal Muhammad. Those are top-tier opponents. So uh, he is uh, really set himself up to have a big year. Um, they talked about, uh, I think it was Daniel Cormier mentioned matching him up against somebody like uh, Ponzinibbio. Mm -hmm. That sounds perfect. Um, I, I know Ponzinibbio would like a more uh, higher-ranked person, but, you know, I, I'd love to see that fight. Yeah, so it, there were some really spectacular performances on this undercard. This was uh, pretty, pretty entertaining fights leading into the pay-per-view. 
I agree. It was, uh, yeah, the, 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 the evening went rolling. Like I was sort of worried. I was like, okay, I got a pot of coffee on. I had like a pack of Red Bull. I was like, okay, but I did have my little coffee, but I didn't even have one Red Bull. So I made it through. I, I, I think I sound sane. Four hours in, you're at the midway part of this card, and you're thinking, wow, this is that was an easy four hours. Let's do another four. So here we go on to the pay-per-view, and this was a very stacked pay-per-view. I don't know about you, Phil, but I, I was really looking forward to this card as soon as it was finalized. Like, this card just looked dynamite from uh, fr- from a, a, a several weeks out, which you don't always typically get now where – we're getting weekly fight cards, and you don't really get that anticipation. But I did sense that for this show. I did sense some anticipation for the show uh, in that, uh, like, some colleagues of mine were really talking about it leading up. Me, personally, I, I just had a lot going on in the last week, so I didn't even – I wasn't really thinking about it too much. But then today, as – even today, I had uh, just a bunch of stuff to do in the morning, and – when I finally got time, I was like, I sort of realized it dawned on me. It was like, whoa, this is, there's some really amazing fights and fighters on this card. And by the time it got to the main event, I had like that big event butterfly that you sometimes get. At least I think other fans sometimes get. Well, Uriah Faber might have had a few butterflies as he was approaching this fight with uh, Piotr Jan, 13 and 1, 26 year old uh, bantamweight here. And uh, Faber came into this. He was a big underdog. Uh, Jan was listed as a minus 550 favorite. And early on, Faber did, did land this like step in knee. And that was, uh, that was one of his high points of the fight. He went for a clinch and then. Ate a right hand, and this was when Jan just started his striking. He was very measured, getting his timing in the first round. Then into the second, he's using his jab a lot more frequently. He drops Faber, and Jan then goes from behind. Faber, though, gets up, and Jan drops him with this elbow. And this elbow shot just lacerates Faber. He comes up to the point that the referee, Keith Peterson, needs to check on him, and he's got this hematoma coming out of his eye that just looks terrible. And they restart in the same position. Faber is able to get to his feet, a 10-8 round, and then the third round begins. And as they break from a clinch, Faber gets head kicked and just drops down to the mat, and the fight is over. Uh, Piotr Jan, uh, your winner in pretty brutal fashion here a big statement victory for him uh 43 seconds into the third round by knockout oh yeah it was it was pretty uh savage he hurt uh uriah bad twice before the finish uh there was this weird moment where he hurt him really bad and then uriah was able to get up and he's sort of like bloody and like waved to his family and then actually landed a crisp shot on yan that sent him back but other than that and the knee you mentioned, it was all Yan in a really technical, clinical performance that really sets him up as the number one contender in the division. Yeah, it was it was really like a scene out of a Rocky Balboa movie where Faber waved to his uh, wife and daughter and then got up and landed like this, this punch that Phil uh, mentioned, but... Um it was not a Hollywood ending for Uriah <laughs> Faber. Uh, I wonder if this is an ending period for Uriah Faber's uh, career after this. He's 40. Uh, do you see – like this to me was just a fight 
This is not how I would have been booking Uriah Faber. There is a place for Uriah Faber. It's not against a 26-year-old killer um, when he's 40 years old. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as harsh on it as you are. Like, he was in the fight. Like, it wasn't like he was completely outclassed here. It was just... I I don't know. I I didn't think it was that bad. I think there's still some opportunity for him to fight. Like if he waits around a year, a returning TJ TJ Dillashaw will be around. That's a pretty big fight for him. So I didn't have too much of a problem, and it's it it really elevated uh, Yan, who you know he beat uh, Jimmy Rivera, who's a very tough guy, but nobody really knows that. And knows who Rivera is. So beating Faber on a huge night is a statement. So I I think I was all right with it. Uh, Jan, after the fight, challenged Henry Cejudo and called him a triple clown. He did the best with what, you know, the limited English he had. You know, he called his shot. He shot a shot. You know, can't fault the guy. I think he should be in line. It's a a division that's kind of just going in circles right now as Cejudo is injured and... Which title is this guy even going to defend in his next fight? Is he going to be fighting Joseph Benavidez? Is he going to be fighting a bantamweight? Certainly, if you're, we're starting to get to the point where this division could have an interim title introduced, and I would say Jan would be one half of that equation if they were to put together an interim title fight. I mean, he would have to be. I mean, at one point tonight, it looked like maybe uh, Jose Aldo was setting himself up to be the next uh, title challenger. Uh, didn't quite materialize. But uh, yeah, Peter Jan now or Peter Jan uh, has is definitely uh, number one in line. Uh, Marlon Marias, Jose Aldo was next, and there was a lot of scrutiny about Jose Aldo cutting down to 135 pounds. He made the weight at 136, said it was one of the best cuts of his career, and Megan O'Leary informed us that Jose Aldo had told her that the old Jose Aldo is dead. And I'm going to be bantamweight champion. So, Jose Aldo, marking his new territory here at 135 pounds. And, you know, he came out and he looked really good in this fight. I think he, myself included, were uh, blown away by how good he looked at 135 pounds. I thought the two split the first two rounds. I thought Marias just came out much like the the Henry Cejudo fight where he had a tremendous first round and then kind of came back down to earth in the second. And this is where Aldo was being very smart with body shots, landed this great combination, and also using his jab uh, very effectively throughout the second round. In the third, there were all of these jabs from uh, Marlon Marias and Aldo was the one definitely controlling the center, and Marias was circling around him, but I, I thought this was a really close round, and people can debate where this went. I thought Marias, even though he was on the outside, I don't think that uh, that doesn't play a huge factor for me. I still thought he outlanded Jose Aldo, and I gave him, uh, I shouldn't say greatly outlanded him, but enough to win the round. So I went with Marlon Marias, but this is really a coin toss. I don't think you can argue who gets the decision here. Uh, no, uh, I don't think you can really argue. Uh, I had it the same way. I had it Marias, Aldo, Marias, but even the second round I thought was a bit of a coin flip, even though Aldo has established himself better in that one. And I agreed that he, I mean, obviously he looked much better. I thought even when they were cutting to him prior to the fight, I was sort of pleasantly surprised at how full he looked. He looked 
he kind of looked like his 145 pound self, which was not at all what he looked like on Friday. So, um, yeah, it, it was a pleasant surprise to see him perform so well. He didn't get the decision, but it was a super close fight. Marias suggested that they run it back. Why not do a five rounder? Uh, you know, that could headline a fight night. It certainly could. I thought that this fight really rejuvenated Jose Aldo. I, Yes, it's a loss on his record, but to me, this was a this was a moral victory for him in just how good he looked at 135 pounds, and it opens the door for a lot of interesting fights for him at this new weight class. So I would not view this as a negative for Jose Aldo. I, I thought this was a career positive for him because I, I think there was a, this real question mark. I think ever since the Conor McGregor loss of where his career was going to go, and he is showing you know uh, an ability to beat. A lot of quality featherweights, but was he going to be able to regain that form that he had pre-McGregor? And here was Jose Aldo, I think, finding a new home at bantamweight. That certainly there is a demand to see him uh, against other bantamweights or even the rematch with uh, Marlon Marias. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities and it adds a little uh, new interest into the division. So uh, it, it's great. And as the commentators mentioned, he's only 33. So... Um, you know, I, I know he has got a lot of miles on him, but, uh, maybe, uh, we can get, uh, quite a few more Jose Aldo great fights. Amanda Nunez versus Jermaine Durandamy was our first of three title fights for the women's bantamweight title. And I was thinking, man, Phil, we're going to have a short night here. I thought this first round, this is going to be a sign of things to come. Amanda Nunez was going to finish off Jermaine Durandamy because she just steamrolled Durandamy. She nailed this right hand over the top, took her down, and is just uh, nailing her with strikes as she applies a guillotine that looks super deep, and it looks like Durandamy is going to tap, but she survives it. So Nunez just goes to ground and pound. She then goes for an arm triangle. Durandamy survives that. She outlanded Durandamy 39 to 9 in this first round. A dominant, dominant round. Yeah, it, it uh, looked pretty one-sided. Although uh, at the end of the round, uh, Durandamy was landing some up kicks. And uh, Nunez did slow a little bit from all that output. So uh, uh uh, it, it did seem like uh, Durandamy could make a run for it there. The second was Durandamy's best round. I thought she won this round. She uh, just got an ability to to strike. She landed this huge uh, head kick on her and then started landing knees from the clinch. Uh, Nunez got her against the fence and ended up on top of her. Uh, but I had Durandamy winning this round. And then Nunez just relied on wrestling for the rest of this fight. She was able to take down Durandamy at the start of the ensuing rounds and work on top. And that was pretty much the story of these final three rounds, which I thought Nunez won three, four, and five, along with a 10-8 in the first. So I had this fight uh, 49 to 45 for Amanda Nunez. Um, yeah, I had it almost the same. I did not, I did not give the first round a 10-8, but, uh, otherwise I scored it exactly the same. Um, yeah, it was a good, gritty veteran performance by Nunez. Uh, going into this fight, I actually thought that Durandamine had a pretty good chance. If she could circle well and stay on the outside, she would have the better, uh, kickboxing. She has a ton of experience in kickboxing. Um, but, 
uh, and Nunez tried to strike with her. And then when Nunez realized that she couldn't, uh, not that she couldn't, but that she would have such a bigger advantage in the grappling, she just kept going there. And it was the right move. And uh, she got the uh, win uh, despite a pretty horrible stand-up in the second round. That's right. Yes, we had we had a lot of uh, comedy from... Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier about Keith Peterson's uh, stand-ups on this on this card. At one point, they were openly betting each other five dollars if Keith Peterson was going to stand them up or not. Yeah, and uh, he did not in that instance. So, uh, just looking at the contenders here. So, uh, Caitlin Vieira was ranked number two going into this fight behind Jermaine Durandamy. So she kind of is oh out of the goodness. running there. Holly Holm is set to fight Raquel Pennington. They are number three and six. Then you've got Aspen Ladd, who just had that uh, come-from-behind victory last week. Uh, Juliana Pena, Yana Kunitskaya, who also just fought, Marion Renault, Sarah McMahon, and then Irene Aldana is ranked 10th. So uh, maybe Aspen Ladd is your is your leading contender, unless uh, you go with the winner of Holm and Pennington. Uh, no, you can't go with either of them. That doesn't make any sense. What, what uh, makes, what makes sense right now in this division? Um, what makes sense? I don't know, but have her fight. Who I said, have her fight at 145. Doesn't, ha- why does it have to be at that division? Well, do you want me to read you the featherweight rankings? Sure, sure. Okay. Champion, Amanda Nunez, no rankings. Nobody is listed here. How could Felicia Spencer not be ranked? That's that's how how little they think of this division. They don't even, they have not even ranked them. I know you're very high on uh, Felicia Spencer here. Her, she is, she is coming off the loss to Cyborg. Uh, So, look, she's just a tough girl, and uh, I just think that it's it's a fight that could be competitive versus some of these other girls where I, I think she would steamroll them. And look, if, if the UFC wants to book these fights and people want to see them, okay, sure, she can be like the dominant Mike Tyson-type champion, but I, ju- I just don't really have any interest in seeing a lot of those fights. And the girls, you know, who are pretty good, she's already beaten. So. Yeah, it's it's... The the problem that they have with uh, this division, I don't think you have any any giant fights that are that are pending here. Um, I mean, maybe by the end of the year, they can do Shevchenko again, right? Like that's a possibility. I think they'll eventually do the third fight between them. Yeah, because I think you're running into that same issue at flyweight as well. I don't think many are favoring uh, Caitlin Chukagian to beat Shevchenko, and you're going to be in you're going to be in the in the same. Uh, same predicament. So those two finding each other again, very likely, I would assume. All right, our second title fight. Uh, Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky for the featherweight title. Uh, Volkanovsky had a great game plan early on of just brutalizing Max Holloway's lead left leg and eventually forcing him around the third round to have to switch stances. And so Volkanovsky said, cool, I'll now go after your other leg. And he was just annihilating with with leg kicks and attacking the calf and just putting on a lot of pressure with his striking as well. I had Volkanovsky winning the first three rounds. Uh, Then Holloway, at the end of the third round, he starts to just get reckless. He is throwing Hail Mary shots and not having any success. So 
in the fourth, he comes out. He's much more conservative, but he starts having success with an uppercut and going to the body. And I thought this was a round that he edged past Volkanovsky. We go to the fifth round. At this point, John Anik is mentioning that Holloway has absorbed 68 leg kicks, which sound brutal. Uh, this was a very close round. I, I think this was kind of a coin toss round. I did lean Holloway, but I had Volkanovsky win in the fight 48-47. What were your thoughts on the fight and Volkanovsky's strategy? So I thought that Volkanovsky fought just an absolutely amazing fight. He just was prepared in every area. I had him running four rounds to one with uh, the only um, round of difference was that I gave him round five. But as you mentioned, it was a coin toss of a round. <clears throat> so, um, but the bigger story was just really how well he prepared for this fight. He was yeah. prepared for Holloway in all of his uh, domains. And... Uh, uh, yeah, the way that he was able to shut down his movement and force him to s- change stances, um, it was really, really impressive. The cardio, the output that, you know, he was talking to him in the middle of the fight. It was uh, a, a really entertaining performance. And Holloway, you know, he didn't disappoint either. He fought the way that you would expect from him. He, he, he was a game champion. He, he, fought hard in in four and five uh you can make a case that he won four and five um but uh volkanovsky really uh it was kind of a master class in mma in a lot of ways it was i thought he had a great strategy uh to, to beat max holloway holloway afterwards said he's 28 he's young he will be back it it opens up this division i think for a lot of interesting fights um Mainly, I'm kind of interested in where Max Holloway goes after this, more so than Volkanovski. I mean, you can go with uh, Zabit. You could go. You could go many different ways. But uh, personally, I, I'm kind of curious where Max Holloway goes next. Uh, I don't see them going to an automatic rematch, and this kind of opens them up to have some three round fights, which may not be the worst thing for Max Holloway, who has had a lot of big fights over the last couple of years. I. I could see them going to the rematch because he's such a long reigning champion. Mm -hmm. They could do it in New Zealand, which would be cool because that's closer to Hawaii as well. Or in Australia where he's actually sort of uh, where uh, I think that's where he's from. Uh, Him and Adesanya being paired together would be great if they could pull that off next year. Yeah. Two teammates. And... uh, you know, the only thing with uh, Holloway fighting a three round fight is, you know, he fights in main events so much that even if yeah. he were to, like, even if they give him a contender fight, I still see him being in a five round fight. So, but he's, he's the best in five round fights. Like, that's to his advantage, a five round fight. So, uh, I don't know. I could see him getting a rematch. I could see him moving up in weight. There's a lot of fights for him at 155. Uh, he's still super young. Um, and if he doesn't get the rematch right now, a couple other fights and then a rematch, sure. I mean, it was a competitive fight. Yeah, it's it's funny. With, with, with Holloway, I'd be really interested to see him and Yair Rodriguez or him and Chan Sung Jung. And with Volkanovski, like, I don't even know what, what the fight is uh, that you go next if it's not Holloway. There isn't the 
obvious contender. And if you're looking at something like Zabit, um, I think that's really location specific. Like if you were to do that fight in Russia, okay, I get it. Or if you were to do it in New Zealand or Australia, but to do that card, uh, do that fight somewhere in the US, I don't think that fight's going to really capture a lot of people's imagination. Um, well, you know, you have this big platform that was a launching pad for Volkanovsky to the audience. Um, he could be underneath another big event. And, uh, you know, you, you don't sell his fights right away. You wait a little bit. You build them off of some other stars. And then maybe, yeah, you do a big fight in uh, home country. And uh, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, it's a little bit uh, tough to figure out contenders. It's a little bit tough to figure out who could who could even compete with this guy because he seems to just have such a read on the octagon and he said in his post fight uh interview he's got the fight iq i mean that's clear as day mm-hmm. like it's pretty it's pretty uh it's pretty amazing and i i was i've been uh very high on uh, volkanovsky since i first saw him in the ufc I, I i was impressed with what he did but this was the fight that even though i i really liked him and thought he was super deserving of this title shot this was the f- fight of all the three title fights that i thought was least likely for the title to change hands so um really awesome performance uh kind of virtuoso yeah, he he was excellent. Uh, do you see uh, Chan Sung Jung and Frankie Edgar next weekend? Does that have any uh, any title implications for the winner? Uh, it could. I mean, I think Volkanovski called out Frankie Edgar, and you know, it seems like the UFC likes to throw Frankie Edgar into title shots. So if Frankie Edgar comes away with the win, maybe uh, Chan Sung Jung, uh, he definitely. I mean, he's not really at a title shot yet, but he's a super popular fighter and super exciting. So if he gets a win, I, I wouldn't say he's going to get a title shot, but he, he'd be he'd be close. He wouldn't be too far off. Yeah, he, he has the loss to uh, uh, Yair as well from last last year, that that final second stoppage as well. So I would more so be looking at if they were just going to take someone like a, like a Frankie and just for name value alone, put him with Volkanovski. Although, God, in my head, that size discrepancy seems enormous between those two. I, I, you know, I'm okay with putting Zabit in there right now. because he, He's probably, like, if you're not going Holloway, he's the guy. Yeah, yeah. like, like look, it's if, if, you know, if he can't get his output issues together, that's on him, right? We'll give you your shot. You, 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 we beat all these guys. You keep calling out people. You want the top of the division. Okay. So you get a title shot. You're really exciting, but you got to deal with this monster who can go hard for five rounds. So I think it's a, it's a pretty exciting fight. I think that yeah. would be a really good co-main event on a, on a name with a big, with bigger names above. Yeah, I, that's how I would promote it because it's not two big names, but competitively, like that's a fascinating fight between those two. Yeah. So. Interesting stuff going on at Featherweight, and uh, we will see what happens next with Max Holloway. But then to the main event, Kamaro Usman versus Colby Covington for the UFC welterweight title. And Colby Covington for the second fight in a row coming out to Kurt Angle's theme. It's fun. I like it. It works for him. And 
Well, we got one question answered immediately because neither guy was going to attempt to wrestle with the other. This was going to be these two standing and trading for the entire fight. There was not one takedown attempt in this uh, until... No, I don't think there was one attempt, was there, in this fight? There was an attempt by Colby's corner to convince him to try to wrestle. (laughs) That's not, that doesn't go on the stats, Phil. (laughs) Okay. Corner, 0 for 1, between (laughs) round 4 and 5. So, early in, early in the first round, man, these two are just like winging it at one another. Colby's getting some really big, powerful shots, and then he flies at him with this knee. Uh, You can see Usman trying to go for the body. Um, Colby continued this in the second where he stunned Usman with with a right hand, then followed with a left. And you're just watching these guys just throw at one another that you're just thinking one of these guys is just going to try and wrestle here to navigate this this game plan. But no, they just kept going at it. They just jabbed the hell out of each other here in the second round. Colby then rocks him with another right hand. Uh, After two rounds, how did you have it, Phil? After two rounds, I had it uh, 10-9 in the first Colby and then 10-9 Kamaru in the second. I noted that both were just super close rounds. It felt like Kamaru had more power and more was landing more consistently. But then Covington would would have these flurries where he would really sort of shock Kamaru. And this would happen in the fight. Like it... It might yeah. have happened like seven times in the fight. It was kind of crazy. Um, but even with that, Kamaru would always, you know, come back and then land some big shots. So crazy hard to score. I mean, they were critical of the scorecard that said that this fight was um, three rounds to one for Colby. That, although I had it the flip, it's, you can make a case. There were three rounds that were super, super close. One, two, and four. Yeah, I I had it two nothing for for Colby after two, but that second round I was really wavering. Like I thought that could have gone either way for me. So I, I thought, yeah, you had some really tough rounds to score here. I wasn't too critical about uh, the judges' cards going into the end there. Third round, uh, this was to me when when Usman started to make his biggest impression. He's landing a lot of right hands, and more importantly, he's focusing on the body a lot, and those are starting to pile up. Um, then he's connecting with the left hands as well. This is when we got our first uh, eye poke from Covington uh, that uh, just looked nasty in the replay. Um, into the fourth round we go. Uh, maybe the most notable uh, mention came in between rounds as Colby tells his corner that he thinks he broke his jaw. The announcers tee up the replay and we watch in slow motion as Colby Covington's jaw just gets ricocheted in this octagon and it would not surprise me at all that this man has a broken jaw and made rounds four and five that much more uh, stunning. Yeah, it was pretty spectacular and it explains sort of what happened in round three because in round three, he just, his output went to zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was like, it was really shocking. And I think he, it, I think it was just more mental. You know, he just started focusing on that jaw rather than what he needed to do. And then he went back to his corner and then, you know, he told his corner, yeah, my jaw's broken. And they kind of just ignored him because what are they going to do? Right. It's like you got to fight through it. So that reset him and then came out in round four and had a good round. Uh, 
the fourth round, um, you know, he's doing way better than someone you would expect has a potential broken jaw. He landed an uppercut. Um, it was like Colby was landing the bigger strikes. Usman was in, in terms of volume was, was outlanding Covington. So, I mean, scores could be all over the place here. After four rounds, I had it even. What did you have? Uh, I had it three rounds to one for, uh, Kamaru. So, uh, two, three, four. Cool. So the fifth round, uh, Usman's going to the head and body, and then he lands this big right hand, and he's going to his jab. He's falling with this, these big shots, and then he finally drops Covington with a right hand. Covington gets up. He gets dropped a second time, and Kamaru is all on top of him and finishes him with hammer fists at four minutes, ten seconds of the fifth round. Awesome, awesome fight. I think that this is a contender for fight of the year. Uh, just a fantastic fight. Yeah, it was it was nonstop action, uh, huge shots. Both guys rock. Both guys showing heart. Lots of drama. Uh, it, it it was really really spectacular. These guys. I mean, the there was this element uh, leading up to this fight. You know, the they had pretty much the same record with only one got one defeat each to a guy that the other beat, uh, and. Uh, you know, so it was really even and competitive on paper, and it really played out that way. And uh, the difference was that in the fifth round, Kamaru really just dug deep and found a way to get it done. So going into the fifth round, uh, the judges had it. Uh, one judge had it 39-37 for Usman. One had it 39-37 for Covington. And one had it 38-38. Uh, tied, which is what I had. So this was a very, very close fight going into uh, this last fight. Um, yeah, this was just an incredible fight, one that I think you could certainly run back at some point. And I don't know if people were necessarily expecting this to be a great fight going in. I think quite the opposite, to be honest, that this could have been a really dull affair between these two, that sometimes when you have these heated grudges, it's Guys come in and they're so tentative because they don't want to make a mistake uh, because there's so much ego involved. And this was anything but. These guys just swung for the fences and had just, just uh, not to say they were being completely reckless or anything, but this was just a, a nonstop striking affair for five rounds. And I think that this and the Adesanya Gastelum fights are going to be the ones kind of debated for fight of the year this year. Yeah, both of those were tremendous. Um, I did, I mean, I did expect this type of fight from Covington because that it was similar to what he had done in the, um, in the Dos Anjos, uh, but more, uh, recently the Robbie Lawler fight. But, uh, we never really seen Kamaru Usman do this. And so for him to sort of fight at that same pace, um, that Covington does with the striking. I mean, he's always shown great pace with the wrestling, but to do that with the striking and ultimately outpace Colby, it, it was extremely impressive. And yeah, it was, it was a fight to remember. Uh, some notes here from uh, Brett Okamoto of ESPN. Dana White says he wants to book a rematch between Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway in Australia next. Okay. Sure. Uh, he says, after tonight, Kamaru Usman versus Jorge Masvidal is a big title fight, and he'd like to make it. Do you like that direction? Yeah, I do. I think, you know, uh, 
one thing about that, what was leading up to that fight, the problem was, uh, Masvidal calling, you know, him snoozeman or whatever. And, uh, but, you know, there's nothing that was an incredibly exciting performance. So, uh, I, I think there will be some interest in that. And then what else here? Uh, uh, Dana also says Henry Cejudo called him and said that Jose Aldo won that fight and he wants to fight him next. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. really? White told Henry, apparently, cool, says he didn't know if he would honor Cejudo's request. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Aldo won that fight, so I'm going to fight him next. Okay. Uh, and Dana adds that he thought Uriah Faber looked good early, uh, but uh, Jan is a nasty guy, said that he thinks Faber can still fight if he wants to, but doesn't see much reason for him to do it. So there you uh, go. Um, another interesting note is I'm pretty sure that Max Holloway became the first person in UFC history to land more than 2,000 significant strikes in a career in the octagon. Wow. Yes. Were, have you been tabulating them? Since no, no, no. So they, 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 they displayed a statistic before the fight that he had like 1,937, oh. 1,937, and he's the all-time leader. So it wouldn't take that much more to hit uh, the 2,000 mark, and he's the leader, so he would be the first person to achieve that task. Uh, we also have... Uh so the attendance was 16,811, gate of uh, $4,041,119.14. Fight of the night, Usman Covington, no surprise there. Performance of the night, Petra, uh, Piotr Jan and Irene Aldana. Chase Hooper. Sorry, kid. What's he uh, going to do with a bonus anyway? He's 20. He, 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 he's, well, he, he, I was, I was going to say, but you know, but, uh, uh, he, he'll be okay. He'll be okay. They're going to feature him in a nice spot. Uh, you know, they can take their time with him, right? Like, uh, no rush. Um, but he's pretty exciting. So there you go. That was, uh, I thought a very entertaining UFC 245, their final pay-per-view of the year. And, uh, second to last card of the year. Next week, we've got uh, a card that I'm sure you'll be waking up at 2 a.m. to watch the undercard uh, from South Korea featuring Frankie Edgar, Chan Sung Jung, and Volkan Ozdemir versus Alexander Rakic. Du Ho Choi is on this card. He's returning. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, Du Ho Choi, we haven't seen in a while. I yeah. mean, he was really on an upswing, and I think he took some uh, much-needed time off. Um, I don't know his opponent, which I like that idea because uh he was kind of fed to the wolves there charles jordan charles jordan well i yeah i still don't know his opponent well phil the next time you and i will do a show um don't know if this is going to be a big show or not but <laughs> I, th I think we should cover it uh it will be ufc 246 conor mcgregor donald cerrone and final question what are, what are your thoughts on some of the early fights they've announced for 2020 they have They've quite the we haven't discussed yet, but quite the plethora of fights that they have rolled out so far for the first quarter. Well, I mean, certainly this McGregor Cowboy event, you did you ta you know, you put it to me last time to make a prediction if this fight would happen in January, and I said it would. So you know, I have all sorts of predictions that I made incorrectly that we'll ignore. But Just own the, the the correct ones, and we that's, forget the incorrect ones. Exactly. Um, so I mean, that's that's a that's a card with 
I mean, there's nothing else on that card. It's it's the, pretty. The, the fight that is second from the top is Anthony Pettis against uh, Diego Ferreira. So that is, this is a top-heavy card. And that's also there really, you know, in case uh, Cowboy gets hurt, right? Like they're going to slot Pettis into the title fight or the, 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 the panty fight or whatever you want to call it. You know? Yeah, you you would you would think if uh, if if something if something were to happen, though I I don't really have any concerns about Cerrone not making it to this fight. I feel if this guy tore his ACL, he would hobble into this fight and just get through it. Yes, you're probably right. Well, okay, so uh, the announced. Uh, let's see. Uh, they're they're talking about uh, Israel Adesanya and Yoel Romero, but that's not been a, been announced. That's they fine. Ju- I say I think that's fine. Go ahead. I, I like that. the fight. I have no yeah. problem with that fight. Okay. Um, I guess this is technically second quarter. Is uh, Khabib okay. and Tony Ferguson. I'm gonna I'm gonna zip through some good fights coming up. Okay. Okay. You got Dos Anjos versus Chizaya. That's a good one coming up. In uh, when where is that happening? That's on the undercard of a January t- in North Carolina, January twenty fifth. Fight Night Blades Dos Anjos. Dos, Dos Santos. Santos. Yeah. Okay. Jones Reyes. Okay. You have you have Valentina Shevchenko versus uh, Chukagian. Okay. Whatever. Val- Your real main event. I know yeah. you look, definitely look, would have been. Well, Shevchenko I mean, the main over. event is 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 our Jessica Rabbit version of Valentina Shevchenko. You know, the fiery redhead. I mean that. I mean, this is a new era upon us. Uh, but uh, we've got Derek Lewis on that card. Fighting Ilir Latifi, okay. Um, Corey Anderson fighting Jan Blockowitz. No, he isn't. I'm yep, looking at the that, wrong card. What? That's that's the next week. Oh, is that really happening? Okay. Yep that's oh. that's headlining in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Okay, I guess. Well, there you go. I mean, that's something. So you got some fights coming up. Felder versus Hooker. That's a pretty good uh, fight coming up. And, and they've got and they and they made the Nganu Rosenstruck fight for the end of uh end of March in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, that's right. So that's that's a good one. Yep. Uh so uh Weili Zhang versus uh Ioannis, uh announced. That's one to look forward to. I think that's gonna be a great fight. And then of course if it comes to pass is Habib versus Tony, which they've announced four months out, which is a bit unusual. Yeah, I think that two forty eight card, that's the March seventh with uh Weili Zhang and Joanna Janjacek. I'm wondering what else goes on that card. I cannot see that card, that fight headlining a pay per view. Uh, no, and it's supposed to be happening in Vegas, and so yeah. Vegas demands big, big names. Um, is, is that is, would that be too soon if you could put together Masvidal and Usman, or is that too close? I mean, it's all up to Masvidal. Like, if you know, it's how much money can you can you show these guys, um, right? If like, I if I'm Masvidal, I'm gunning for that Connor fight much more than I'm looking for a Kamara oh, fight. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, and if that's I'm not Connor, a, that's, that's not a good fight for Masvidal, the Usman fight. I don't know if anyone's a good fight for Usman right now, but man, if I'm, I mean, that to me is just logic that Masvidal is not going to be courting the Usman fight if Conor McGregor is any possibility. Yeah, and I think and I think that makes sense even for Conor McGregor. I know it's sort of un- counterintuitive in the sense that he wouldn't have a great chance of winning that fight, but 
in terms of the amount of money that could be generated, it's the biggest possible fight because they're the biggest stars in the game right now. All right. Well, Habib. Correct. Well, that's going to bring an end to the show uh, here at 3 a.m. Eastern time. Phil, you're always uh, you're always a trooper uh, joining me for these post shows. It's always great to have you on to break this down. And uh, a thank you for the entire year of shows. I hope we do it again in 2020 unless I get a, a breakup text from you. But you're uh, I've always got a seat here for Phil Chair Talk. Uh, no, I'll just uh, I'll just leave my breakup note as a stocking stuffer for you. Oh, well, that's that's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> That's going to wrap, wrap things up, everybody. Uh, we are going to be back Sunday night following the WWE TLC event that I will bet Phil is not going to be watching. No, I'm not going to be watching that. No, that is not. That is correct. Are you going to watch any of the Bellator next weekend? Two cards in Hawaii. Okay. Well, I, I honestly don't even know who's on those cards. I mean, it's so horrible. It's, I, I should keep up with it, I guess. It's just there's so much. Who's fighting? Oh, it's it's way too late to be going okay, into, okay, to okay, yeah, don't, don't, at this time. Don't be, yeah, Ali Malay McFarlane is is well, uh, fighting. They're flyweight champion. Yes, well, that's to be expected because they are in Hawaii. Um, so that's cool that they have events in Hawaii. The UFC and uh, AJ McKee, Derek Campos. That's part of their featherweight Grand Prix. Okay, uh, AJ McKee looks really good. So that's a, that's worth wa- he's worth watching. Uh, the night before, on the they're doing the the Friday and Saturday. On Friday night, uh, Honey Marks versus Josh Barnett is the headliner. Uh, okay. These aren't terribly deep cards. Like, I'm looking at the main cards. It's, you know, realistically, it's one main card that's been split into two cards. Yeah, it's interesting that the UFC has decided to, like, sort of abandon the New Year's Eve thing. I wonder if maybe because it falls in the middle of the week, they didn't want to have an event in Vegas and have... I think it was mainly just with ESPN, with all their bull coverage and stuff like that, that they just wanted to have Mm. to... Do it earlier to for promotional purposes, but I always thought that was a good week to run for the UFC, like the post Christmas pay per view that would typically do very well. But yeah, yeah if, if it's, it's going to be a like a quiet period after the South Korea, let's be honest, not too many people are paying attention. So in theory, they're off until January eighteenth. Oh the yeah, McGregor yeah. fight. Yeah, the best is when it would line up so that the Saturday would fall on the day before New Year's Eve because. They do it in Vegas. It'd be like a huge, huge event. And, and people, um, everyone else is home for the holidays and wants to gather with friends. And so watching a UFC event is the perfect opportunity to do that. Um, so I, I, I used to like those events very much as well. That's, that's when the second Tito Chuck fight, uh, fell on. It was the day before New Year's Eve and that card was just so enormous. Back in 2006. Yeah, I, I think they've, they've they've had another one as well. That uh, anyway, I mean, let's let let let's carry on. <laughs> Good night, everybody. From Phil and John. Thank you for listening. <laughs>